You're listening to the Roanoke Valley Church Podcast. Today's sermon is from Benjamin Hutchins at our alumni service down in the New River Valley. His sermon, God is Enough, from Psalm 23, kicks off our fall series entitled The Good Shepherd. The sermon addresses what is truly shepherding your heart, how God leads us to have all of our deepest needs fulfilled. Visit our website at roanokevalleychurch.org or visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Church more resources, sermons, and links to help you be a part of what God is doing in the Roanoke Valley. Now enjoy today's inspiring sermon. Good morning, church! How wonderful it is to be with you all this morning and sing praises to our God. It is a blessing to be with you guys. A special welcome to all of our alumni this morning who are coming back. And next year, we're expecting you guys to move back permanently. Now, a big, big thank you. Uh, For the past nearly six years, uh, you guys have become our family here. The New River Valley has captured our hearts in many ways, but mainly because uh, you guys were here or are here. And you guys have changed us. You have helped form us into better Christ followers. You have guided us, challenged us, inspired us, and carried us when we've needed it. And we love you all deeply. Thank you for honoring us today and for all of your love over the years. To the Hokie and Highlander alumni uh, and NRV friends and family, we could not uh, do what we are doing here without you. Thank you for your support, prayers, generosity, and faith. Now to our text. Please turn with me to Psalm 23. The title of the sermon this morning is God is Enough. And today we begin our kind of new series that we're going to start and kick off for the rest of the fall entitled The Good Shepherd, which begins in Psalm 23, where God is enough. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. There's no passage of scripture that has given me as much comfort and hope as Psalm 23. Yet, this is also a text that has shattered my illusions of faith and forced me to confront my doubts and despair. It's probably my favorite scripture because for me, it reveals God better than any other. And that God is, in fact, enough. I have a question I want to ask you all. Have you ever felt defeated? When I was in eighth grade, I just moved to a new city with a bigger middle school. 
and I tried out for both the football and the basketball teams, and I made both. It was very awesome, right? I felt very athletic. And then football season, we went defeated. We went 0-8. We did not win a game. And then I made the basketball team, got through basketball tryouts, and I was excited because I'm like, I was not a hooper back then. Some things may or may not change, but uh, then I made the basketball team, and again, we went defeated. This time, 0-10. But the thing was, we felt defeated, right? My whole team, right, in both, in bo both instances. Now, the feeling of defeat is so much worse when it's just you. When you don't have a team to carry the load, the burden of defeat with. But when you're just defeated on your lonesome. Now one time I found myself in the midst of the Canadian Rockies in Banff National Park. As you do. And there was this extremely difficult 10 mile hike that I was just itching to do. That I was so excited to do. It was kind of a bucket list hike for me. A 10 mile hike called Cory Pass. And Malia and I went there on a, on a baby moon. And so we go there. And Malia's pretty pregnant. She's pretty and pregnant, but she's very pregnant. And she was not feeling up to a 10-mile hike. Understandable. The thing about this hike was it's about 4,000 feet of elevation gain. Yeah, that's not like a small amount. And this is at altitude. You're already like a mile high, right, or more than that. And uh, so I get there, and we do this hike. The thing is, the road going to the hike is closed. So you have to hike to the trailhead of the hike. Now, it gets worse, there's no cell service there either. And if anybody knows anything about the Canadian Rockies, it is grizzly territory, it is bear territory. You're never supposed to hike alone. And if you do, even if you're not alone, but if you do, you know you're supposed to carry with you? A sidearm, and if you don't have a sidearm, bear spray. Now, which of those did I have? None of the above, but I had the Holy Spirit. No, so but I'm like, well, hey, when am I going to be here next, right? And I go in, I do that hike, right? I'm doing that hike, and it is the most grueling hike I've ever done. Uh, it was incredibly steep, uh, and it was yeah, very challenging. But I also know my cell phone doesn't work. I also know I'm deep in bear country. The road to get here is closed. I'm all alone. There was no other cars parked on the highway on the way up here, nor in the parking lot that's closed, right? I'm alone. And so I'm doing this hike, and I, it's kicking my butt. But I'm constantly, like, the, the hair on the back of my neck, if I had any, uh, it was kind of, like, standing up. Like, this sense of, like, I, I just fear. And I, I hike a lot. I love hiking. It's the thing that gives me life. Uh, but I'm just scared the whole time. I keep kind of look over, you know, look over my shoulder. Anything I hear, I'm like, you know, eyes. You know, because I'm like, I'm, honestly, I'm scared that there's going to be a grizzly out there, and I'm going to get in trouble. There had been two people already killed by grizzlies uh, in that area in Alberta that year. And so I'm like, I have all of this in my mind as I'm doing this hike. But here's the thing. I made it to the top, which is halfway, right? Uh, halfway done. I made it to the top, and it was, it was breathtaking. And so I say, man, I've got I've to get like a photo up here. I'm all by myself. So I put my cell phone on a rock to do like that 10-second timer, you know what I'm talking about? And uh, this was my first take. I'm like, oh, there's the flash. Like I'm biting my lip. I said, oh, that went too fast. 
So I'm like, all right, I got to go a little bit faster next time. So I put that backpack down right there. And I turn around and go to click the button. As I click the button, I hear a rock fall. And I turn around, and my backpack is falling all over the edge. And it's like, I like think about like lunging, and I'm like, if I lunge, I'm going over too. And that's like 100 plus foot drop down a cliff. Again, I'm all by myself out here. So I let it go, right? And I'm just like, oh no. So I turn around and sit down. So I have nothing else to do. <laughs> This is the photo of someone who's like slightly dead inside. <laughs> because there's nothing else to do in those moments. And so then I, I pull one of those where you like kind of like get on the rock and you like pull yourself to the edge, your head's looking over. And I'm, I'm like, I have to look for it. It's like, I can't just see it. It's down there. And then I stand up and then the whole mountain shakes with thunder as lightning strikes nearby. And then it starts raining. <laughs> and I'm just like, what on earth have I gotten myself into? <laughs> in the backpack were my, my uh, AirPods, my headphones. There's a, uh, you can uh, see in the last slide. Uh, let's go. Right there, my, my Patagonia that Melina had gotten me as a special anniversary gift was tied to that backpack. It's my special hiking backpack. And all of my water and Gatorade are all in this backpack. And it's five miles and 4,000 feet down the mountain, and then a hike down another road to get to the car with no cell service. I'm already thirsty. I can already tell I'm dehydrated because I saved all my water for the way back. And I'm just thinking, what am I going to do? And I'm terrified. I'm thinking about scaling down this wall to get my bag. I think I need some, some liquids. I want my, my stuff. And I'm like just literally shaking in my boots, my actual boots. Like my legs are just trembling. And then you read Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And in that moment, all I'm doing is wanting. I want water, I want my bag, I want my headphones, I want my Gatorade, and I want to get back down this mountain and not get soaked, eaten by a bear, or struck by lightning. <laughs> now in the Western world, we're saturated with wants, with desires. Not only are we in want of food, water, safety, and shelter, we're constantly in want of more. The whole marketing and advertising industries, and now the vast majority of influencer accounts on social media, literally exist to turn your certain desires into felt needs. We constantly want more. More money, more house, a newer, nicer, more reliable car maybe, more clothes, more shoes if you're a sneakerhead, more technology, newer technology, more comfort, more aesthetic, more, more, more. We desire it. Kenneth Bailey, who guides many of my thoughts on Psalm 23, writes, Our entire economic system is built on creating and then satisfying as many perceived wants as possible. Our culture presents us a vision of the good life that says if we do X enough, we will become richer and therefore more comfortable and thus live happily ever after. And I'd like to ask you, what is shepherding you? What wants, what cravings, what desires are shepherding you? 
What voice is influencing you and leading you the most? Is it your peers? Is it influencers on TikTok or Instagram? Or maybe your own desires that cause you to venture out in the Canadian Rockies all alone. These, I have to do this. Who is your shepherd? Now, King David wrote this psalm, and I think partly because he needed to remind himself constantly that God, the Lord, is his shepherd. And the imagery he uses to describe this, I think, is worthy of our investigation, so let's break it down. Sheep are notorious for thinking that the grass is always greener over there. They're notorious for sticking their heads through the barbed wire fence and trying to eat the grass right there when this exact same grass is right here. (laughs) They constantly want. But David begins the psalm with, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But then he starts to tell us why. He lists all of his needs as as a sheep, right? Food, water, safety, peace, restoring, guiding, ultimately eternity. The Lord shepherds us in such a way that David says he causes us or he makes us lie down in green pastures and he leads us beside still waters. Here's the thing, though. If you live in the mountains of the Middle East, there's not many green pastures. It's a pretty brown landscape, pretty dusty, rocky landscape. Grass is only green in most parts of the soil there, in the area there, for maybe two months of the year. How can the shepherd lead you constantly to to green pastures where he makes you lie down? Well, he has to know where to find them. And green pastures, if you want to find green grass in parts of Israel, you have to go up steep, rocky mountains to the tops of mountains for most of the year where there's still enough moisture from from the, the altitude to have some green grass grow. Now, he also leads us beside still waters, he says. Thinking about sheep, is they won't drink from moving water. They won't drink from rivers. They want to drink from still water. And how many of you guys have ever been to the beach? Any type of beach where there's sand. Now, when you were a child or did you ever see your child kind of dig like a trench from where the the waves touch the sand, kind of up the shore, so that when the waves would come in, it would send water into like a little tidal pool maybe that they've created, right? And they feel pretty awesome. I used to call that my hot tub growing up. (laughs) Now, shepherds would do such a thing with rivers. When the rivers would flow fast and the sheep were scared to get near it, so they wouldn't drink and then they'd get dehydrated, the shepherd would go and dig a little trench out of the river so that the, river, the water would flow down this trench and, and still. But he has to know where the water is. And he has to be willing to put the work in. For David, the Lord is such a shepherd. Sheep will only lie down when all their needs are met when their stomachs are full on green grass, when they've gotten the water that they need, but it has to be still water, and when they have no fear of predators. And it's at that point that sheep will lie down in their green pastures. And the Lord takes care of all of those things. What is he saying? I am enough. You shall not want. David goes on. He says, the Lord restores my soul. Now, to be restored means you must have strayed in the first place. Either found yourself lost along the way or made poor decisions and strayed from the path down a closed road up into the Canadian Rockies. Either way, David says that the Lord restores us. 
Now, when a sheep is lost, what it does is it tries to, tries to hide under a bush or a rock, usually, and it begins kind of quivering, shaking in its boots, except it doesn't wear boots, and it starts bleeding, just kind of yelling for help because it's, it's fear. And at this point, the shepherd hopefully realizes or hears it, and the shepherd has to go and find the lost sheep until something else hears that bleeding and comes and devours it, right? A predator of some sort. And so then it's a race against the clock to restore the soul of that sheep to its flock before it perishes. Once the shepherd finds the sheep, the sheep is usually too traumatized to scatter, you know, skedaddle back to the flock on its own. And so what the shepherd will do is he'll hoist the sheep over its shoulders and carry it back himself or herself. God does the carrying. This reminds me of my favorite lyric from my favorite hymn, Come Thou Fount. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And then David writes, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, I've strayed from the path, but he guides me back for his own namesake. Why? Because he's a good shepherd. God is love. And to God, for the sake of him being who he is, he has to fight for you. He has to chase after you. He's a God of love and justice and mercy. For that to be the case, he has to restore your soul. He has to chase you down and find you. For his own namesake, he does this. Because he is faithful. He guides us on the right paths because it's his very nature to do so. Now, throughout a sheep's life, it would frequently have to travel and pass through the valleys of the shadow of death. Maybe kind of like my Canadian Rockies experience. The valley of the shadow of death. That was language that described these deep mountain crevices in the Middle East, in these remote, rocky places where two mountains kind of drop sharply and they meet in a a small little pass, sometimes only the width of a person's body. And they're called the valleys of the shadow of death because of the valley where two mountains meet. But they're shadowy because the sun doesn't actually touch there. You're just shadows all the time or darkness at night or the darkest darkness, as, as some uh, people translate this verse. And death, because these are places that were prone to flash floods. It happens to rain. Flash flood comes through. The, all of the water across all the surface area of the mountains comes down and through. And if you are there, when a flood comes through, you perish. It's a valley of the shadow of death. But these places were also places where robbers and predators would lurk. Why? Because they're not places that are easy to escape. You can't go up, scale the cliffs on either side like I tried to scale down to get my backpack. You're just stuck. So if a predator is there, the only way is through the valley of the shadow of death. The only way is through. Biblical scholar Lamsa writes, Those who travel through these passes tremble because they expect trouble or death at any time while they're passing through. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. 
These valleys cannot be avoided or bypassed. The only way is through. How can David say, even though I fear no evil? How can that be true for him? David was told that he would become king. But then he spent the next seven years of his life being chased into exile by the current king. And while he was in exile, he was constantly hiding in the wilderness, under rocks, under bushes, in forbidden lands. And the whole time, the king and his men tried to kill him every day. The valley of the shadow of death. Every day must have been a battle against despair, a battle fighting for hope, a battle fighting for fear of death. And asking yourself, how could my situation possibly get any better? God, how could you let this happen? What about the promises you've made to me? Why aren't you taking care of me? I shall not want? What are you talking about? Every day I wake up wanting and I go to sleep wanting. Yet through this valley, David learned God's shepherding. That God was with him. That God is enough. But that doesn't stop there. Then David finally becomes king, and his best friend Jonathan is killed. Then David himself strays from the paths of righteousness, and he messes up big time. He betrays one of his friends, one of the guys who is with with him through the wilderness and through the valleys of the shadow of death while he was hiding, Uriah. He betrays one of his good friends, sleeps with his wife, So he commits adultery, then has his friend killed because of his guilt and shame, and he doesn't know what to do. David strays from the paths of righteousness. And after all that, he has a baby boy. The baby boy dies. Later on, many years later, David has other children, and they grow up. But he has different moms, different baby mamas with his kids. One son rapes another one of his daughters. That daughter's brother, so another one of his son, then comes and kills the other son of his. His children are killing each other and raping each other. The valley of the shadow of death. After all that, that son that killed his other brother grows a little older, starts a conspiracy and a coup against his dad, David, has his dad chased out of town. David finds himself in exile again. The valley of the shadow of death. How does that horrible situation end? His other son killed by another one of his friends, Joab. The valley of the shadow of death. How can David write these words? How can these words be true for him? Many of you have been visited by the shadows of death as well. You faced heartbreak or betrayal. You faced financial hardship, maybe even homelessness. You've been wronged, but you've also faced the consequences of your own wrongdoing. At times, maybe you felt like you've messed up so bad. How could God forgive us? We've fallen too far. And then many of us have experienced death as well. When you go into the hospital to meet your daughter, worried about her safety, praying that God will save her. But the first time you hold her, she's lifeless in your arms. 
How can we say the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want? When I feel utterly faithless and hopeless, how can he restore my soul? When I'm in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, how can I not fear evil? And David goes on, that even in the presence of my enemies, the Lord prepares a table before me. There is this sense that even in the darkest days and the most desperate situations with no way out, some supernatural way we can find comfort with God. That in some way, God's presence invades our current reality. That there's some way that we don't have to fear death. In some way we don't have to want. There's the sense that even in the darkest days, we may be comforted by God. He says, your staff and your rod, they comfort me. His long shepherd's staff, it's crooked at the end to pull us out of trouble. And his rod, which is basically an iron mace to defend us from our enemies. He is with us. That there is this sense that in these darkest valleys, somehow we may feast at the table prepared before us. That somehow our heads are still anointed by God's oils of goodness. And somehow God says that we are the guests of honor, worthy of an anointing. That somehow God is enough. That somehow our cups overflow, which carries this imagery of having more than enough. It's the idea of feasting at a fine restaurant where you don't even really see the server around, but every time you take a sip, they come and fill up your glass. But it's overflowing at all times. Your glass is constantly full. You have more than enough. But again, I ask, how can David be so sure of this? And how can we? When we find ourselves in the valleys of the shadow of death, why should we stick around? Why shouldn't we give up? Why should we keep following the shepherd if he has allowed us into such places? And when we find ourselves in the presence of our enemies, why should we not run or retaliate? How can we trust God to host us in such spaces? Somehow David is confident because he knows his shepherd. He follows his shepherd and he does not need to want. He is confident of this because he is confident of who he is following. He goes on, Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Remember how I was in the Canadian Rockies? I was constantly looking over my shoulder for a grizzly bear. Kind of this, 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 fear, this feeling of tense dread. Constantly wondering if I'm going to be okay. What's behind me? What's behind me? What's over there? But David is certain of who he's following and what he's being followed by. So surely your mercy and goodness will follow me all the days of my life. The Hebrew words here are tov, meaning goodness, rightness, meaning he makes things right, and beauty. And hased, meaning faithfulness, love, and mercy. How can you follow God through the valleys? How can you sit with him in the presence of your enemies? Only when you know he is leading you, but he's also bringing up the rear with goodness and love. Yeah. 
that the Lord is going before you and behind you, that he is with you, that he is all around you. The hardest part about that psalm, though I think, is that you only really experience its, experience its reality when you're in the darkest valleys. Yeah. I remember after Sophia passed away, and the words of this psalm were the only ones that I knew how to pray. And I remember praying them over and over again. And they kept me alive. I had never felt like God was so far away, yet I'd also never felt like he was so near. And some of you bought Melina and I this canvas at that time. And we look at it every day. That even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. I don't know how, I don't know why, but I do know you are with me. And God, you are enough. And you always will be. Now what your soul desperately craves is not more money or a newer car or the new iPhone. And if you're a crazy person, the new Android. <laughs> what your soul craves is not more sex or more success. What your soul craves is the living God who is with you. What your soul craves is for the good shepherd to find you when you've strayed from the path and find yourself in the darkest valley or when your enemies have put you there or when the devil has put you there. What your soul craves is for the good shepherd to find you, to lift you over his shoulders, to carry you and to restore you. You crave God because God is enough. And we can practice God's enoughness in a few ways this week. One, I would ask you all, especially if you're here in the local congregation with us, to memorize Psalm 23 with us. And as we've, remember, we've memorized Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5 in the last few weeks, we'll memorize Psalm 23 together in the coming weeks. Memorize this because you can pray this. And there's a sense of God's witness that will invade your reality in some way that I do not understand. But I ask you to memorize Psalm 23. I think it will change you. Practice number two is to practice the presence of God. I do this through breath prayers where I, I pray a, a, a short verse or a scripture or a phrase. You are with me. You can, the second half of 20, Psalm 23, 4, you are with me. You can pray that as you breathe and bring attention to your breath and remember that God is with you, that he's right there. And practice his presence, that you are not alone. Amen. Practice his presence. Take moments to stop throughout your day to slow down and to just be with God and his presence with you. Practice number three is to share these words with one another. Remember I, I said those moments where you guys carried me? I needed you guys to share these words with me. Some people in a literal sense where they gave me these words on a canvas. Share these words with one another. Be a good shepherd to one another. Partner with God in restoring one another. Amen. And I'd add a fourth practice to this, and that's the practice of simplicity. Simplicity is just simplifying your life. When you have less things, you want less. 
when you worried about less things, you want less. And you just might find that God is there and that you shall not want. There will be valleys and enemies ahead. You will need God to lift you over his shoulder. Will you trust him? David wrote Psalm 23 while he was king. He had many valleys to remember. You guys know it comes right before Psalm 23 is Psalm 22. (laughs) Psalm 22, verse 1. David also wrote these words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. But in some sense, God replied to David's question. He said, I am enough. I am your shepherd. You shall not want. And David kept writing. Our words of despair, our darkest valleys, the presence of our enemies, none of these things will have the last word. We fear not death because death will not have the last word. You might wonder, how is this so? Well, it's because Jesus chose the words of Psalm 22.1 as his last words, so that they might not be our last words. He does, in fact, meet us in our valleys when we feel forsaken, abandoned, or unforgivable. And it's in those places where he has met us there. He is with us. He has picked us up and put our weight over his shoulders until he breathed his last. With our words and our darkness, Jesus defeats death. And it's because of this that we too can declare with David that the Lord is indeed my shepherd, and I shall not want. And finally, surely I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever, both in my days on earth and in the realm of endless days. For Lord, you are with me. God, you are enough. Amen. Thank you all. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon. Be sure to check back every Sunday for new sermons listed right here. Subscribe to us on YouTube and like us on Facebook to stay in touch with all that God is doing in the Roanoke Valley Church. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.